Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and I'm joined today by my father. I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hello, my name is Dr. Hernandez. I'm a double board certified psychiatrist. Thank you guys so much for tuning in each week. We really appreciate you guys responding back to our episodes, and we encourage you guys to share your favorite episode to either a loved one, a friend, someone that you feel would benefit or find interesting some of the things we talk about. Today, my dad and I want to focus on substance abuse and particularly how substance abuse can sometimes mimic mental illness and how that self-medication can be a danger if you are suffering from a mental illness or have mental health problems. So I'm going to go ahead and let my dad start us off. Well, we want to share some thoughts on on this, what we consider a very important topic. The National Institute of uh, Drug Abuse has reported that patients with serious mental illness or SMIs, uh, which includes schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression, that one out of four of these patients that suffer from these disorders have a co-occurring or comorbid substance use disorder. So that's kind of what we want to talk today about when a patient has more than just either one disorder or the other. They, they have both the disorders, uh, and it's not, again, infrequent for other less serious mental disorders, such as some anxiety disorders, such as panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, to coexist another substance abuse disorder that patients will often turn to substances to relieve their anxiety. And what we all need to know is that when we have these co-occurring disorders, that it worsens each disorder. Uh, The combination worsens each one independently. So uh, that's what we want to sort of elaborate today on. My question for you is, if you have a mental disorder, are you more prone, are you more likely to also have a substance abuse disorder? Are you more, yeah, is it more likely that you will develop that on top of your mental disorder? What's true is that mental illness appears to be a predisposing risk factor to develop a substance use disorder. And so how common is that in your patient population that you see right now? Are people coming in with just one or a combination of the both? As you know, my primary duties are in an inpatient psychiatric unit in an inner city hospital. And the rates in our hospital, when we've looked at them, are comparable to inpatient units across the globe. In London, for instance, there was one study done that almost 50% of their patients had a comorbid substance abuse disorder. In our unit, I would say it ranges between one-third to half of all our patients are coming in with uh, drugs on board. So I mentioned earlier at the top half that we would talk about how substance abuse can mimic mental illness. What are examples of that? Well, what we see in our inner city unit is patients frequently come in on a combination of of drugs 
the first drug to appear on our drug screen is amphetamines, and the other one is cannabis. Um, so that combination appears to make patients extremely psychotic, experiencing both hallucinations of the auditory type and also being paranoid where they're convinced that somebody's chasing them after them, planning to hurt them. And that combination seems to, over the last several years, is very common for our patients to come in convinced that somebody's after them, that they're fearing for their lives, uh, they're frequently bought in by law enforcement. And these are really troubled individuals and uh, they're coming from different walks of life, they're coming from different parts of our community. It's not infrequent at this point. We, what we're seeing a lot of lately is pe people coming off the roadways, off the freeways that we have in, in Southern California, where they're found running half naked, in and, uh, weaving in and out of traffic, and it's law enforcement that's bringing them in. So that's your patient population. Do you know, do you have any like stats or any idea what kind of substances are being abused in suburban communities by adults, young adults there? Well, we have to remember that when we look at substance abuse, still the most common drug is alcohol. Uh, I was reading a, a staff from the, once again, from NIDA or the National Institute of Drug Abuse, which is the biggest uh, federal research uh, agency and big, really the biggest research agency in the world for substance abuse. And they reported uh, something like in the last month, 65, Mar 65 million Americans reported binge drinking as defined as more than four to five drinks uh, in a day. So alcohol is still number one. Uh, of course, opioids, have, that's, you know, that's an epidemic in and of itself. And cannabis, uh, alcohol, and again, I mentioned alcohol. And cannabis is, is uh, of course, very common, especially in the states where it's legal. And there's some interesting reports that NIDA is uh, coming up with in regards to the use of uh, cannabis in the adolescent population during the pandemic, which everybody... Uh, agree that there was less alcohol and cannabis available, but teenagers reported that their their use had not diminished or increased. It remained the same. So it just that's sort of interesting because it shows us how resourceful teenagers are that despite there being a li limited supply, their use continued to be the same. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And what happens with the combination? Let's say you do like, you like to binge drink and you also use cannabis or you like to use cannabis along with opioids. What happens when you start mixing uh, any of those? Nyad is also reporting that when that does occur, that whenever you mix alcohol into the picture, that that seems to worsen the outcomes. Alcohol, I don't know if, if it's because it's more disinhibiting, intoxicating in the sense where it causes more impairment. But anytime you add alcohol, you, you're going to have an increase in accidents, poor choices, uh, STDs are get increased. There's just so many bad things that happen when alcohol is added to any other drugs. So over the course of your 30 years practicing as a psychiatrist, would you say 
cannabis use is more of a concern now than it ever has been before amongst um, the many other substances you see coming in or is it has it remained the same in terms of concern the concern has increased over the years uh, with the high potency again it's just a, a different uh, animal if you will it's uh causing a lot more patients to be psychotic. And it, like we've talked in one of our previous podcasts is, is that if you develop a psychosis uh, with the cannabis, you have a really high, your, 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 your chances of becoming schizophrenic or bipolar increase exponentially. So that, that's a big thing. If you develop voices or being, you know, these feelings of being extremely paranoid, it puts you at a high risk to develop bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And to me, that's that's pretty alarming. So yeah, I would see that cannabis is that is that one drug that has worsened with time in, in the sense that it's it's gotten uh, more dangerous. And schizophrenia, disorders like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, those are something that you're genetically predisposed to, right? That's not something that naturally, oh, you grow up and it's just something that comes about. Isn't that something that is runs in the family so to like have it come on because of cannabis is pretty dangerous well genetics do play a a role in, in mental illness there's a certain vulnerability that comes if uh, serious mental illness runs in the family however I had a, a, a friend a colleague who interestingly was an attorney as well as a psychiatrist and he trained at UCLA back in the day when cocaine was in vogue. And he told me once, something I'll never forget, he said that he could almost swear that cocaine caused schizophrenia. And the new, the new uh, stimulant that's in vogue these days is amphetamines. And I almost can swear the same thing, that I, I feel that patients that do so much amphetamines that they also look as though they've developed schizophrenia as well. I mean, it's this uh, this overstimulation of certain neurotransmitters like dopamine can seemingly cause this this, uh, very difficult and difficult to control uh, schizophrenic syndrome. So with all this information, what would, I guess my question is, what do you suggest for people perhaps that use cannabis or drink and maybe they're not binge drinkers or they don't abuse cannabis but they still use what would you suggest well i guess if you're using and you know if you have a problem right could is that a fair well there's a difference between use and misuse and addiction and what you have to realize is that if you if you have a glass of wine with dinner, that doesn't mean you need to go to the Betty Ford. If you elect to have a drink, if you elect to smoke a cigarette, even that for that matter, or or some cannabis, that's one thing. Well, you may use it recreationally, but if it becomes a problem that gets you in trouble with law enforcement or with interpersonal uh, issues with your spouse or your friends or impairs your ability to work, then it, it's, it's, it's no longer use, it's misuse. Uh, 
And if your whole life is centered around a particular drug or substance, then that's an addiction. So, uh, again, it, it just depends on your ability to cope with your own use of uh, whatever it is you're taking. And I think that's what the difference is here. What are the effects? I think I believe we spoke about this on like when we covered cannabis and social media. I think that was over a year ago. But what are the effects of sub drinking and cannabis amongst young developing brains, like for between the ages of like sixteen and up? Like, what does that do to their brains if they're using? I know we spoke about that a long time ago, but I was recently reading again in the NIDA website about how there's clearly cognitive impairment that occurs in teenagers that are that are smoking, that are using cannabis. That's pretty. That's well established now. So you know the brain's forming, and God only knows the disruption that the cannabis causes. But yeah, there's definitely some there's impairment in in their abilities to think and reason and so forth. So it, it's it. It, it can have long-term uh, uh, detrimental effects for sure. Well, I think, you know, like you said, some in some states, weed is legal, and it's legal for 21-year-olds, 21 and up, and that's obviously for a particular reason. A teenager, a 16-year-old, shouldn't be smoking pot despite the culture or whatever have you. Well, you're true. That's absolutely true. The younger you are, when you start using any drugs, if you start drinking alcohol, it's going it's going to cause you to not develop as you normally would. Just like if you develop a mental illness when you're young, it's not going to let you move forward with your developmental stages. It's going to impede that. It's going to slow that. And 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 so yes, there's going to be definitely. Uh, some some impairment that's going to occur. That's that, that's just going to happen. Do you know any awareness campaigns or programs that kind of shed light on what we're talking about today? There aren't in, there aren't enough programs that educate providers, clinicians, about the various disorders that occur when people are using drugs or they have suffered from mental illness. But what is important is that all clinicians, no matter who they treat, they need to be able to identify these disorders because depression should not be the exclusive domain of, say, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a mental health professional. Every clinician, be it in a substance abuse specialty clinic or in a medical clinic should be able to identify it. Why? Because it's so common. And the more people that have this awareness will be able to identify patients and get them help. Likewise, patients with substance abuse disorders should not only be identified in, in these specialty clinics that where, they, where they treat patients with uh, drug abuse issues, but these substance abuse problems should be identified also in mental health clinics and in medical clinics. We all need to do a, a screen test when possible, when we suspect that our patients are using drugs. NIDA has a quick screen test that's really easy to administer. And if the patients say no to the, the initial questions and you don't move for any further, 
But if they do, then you need to explore what substances are using, uh, what, how many times and so forth, what kind of impairment it's causing them. So the more people that are aware, the more clinicians that are aware of these multiple disorders that occur simultaneously in patients, the better off we're able to deal with this as a whole, I think. How common is depression amongst young adults and adults in the United States? And how often are they redirected to psychiatrists rather than being treated by a primary care doctor? I'm not sure to answer that la latter part, but in, in practice, in, at least in my practice, in the hospital where I, where I see patients, it's not uncommon for me to hear patients that'll tell me, you know what, my primary care doctor tells me that I need to go see a psychiatrist because they don't want to deal with patients that are depressed, that they don't want to deal with prescribing antidepressants. And to me, that's a sad commentary because depression is so common in our general population. And depending the different medical settings that you're, that you're seeing patients in, be it a, an outpatient clinic, a nursing home, a hospital, the rates vary and increase with the, the sicker the patient. So if you're one of the problems in the United States, at least, is that primary care physicians defer this care to psychiatrists. That's why it takes so long to get an appointment to see a psychiatrist because they're backlog treating depressed patients that could have been treated by their primary care doctors. I love the UK model, the National Health Service model, because my understanding is that the primary care doctors or their GPs, as they're called, they're the ones that treat the psychiatric issues, and it's only when the psychiatric issues become extreme that they refer to the psychiatrist in a hospital setting where the, where the psychiatrist will stabilize the patient and then send the patient back to the GP. I think that model makes a lot of sense because the psychiatrist should be treating severe mental illness, not providing care to patients that should be taken care of by their, 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 their primary care doctor. Do prime, would primary care doctors also treat substance abuse issues or would that be rerouted to a psychiatrist or even like a drug rehab fa uh, facility? As I've been alluding to, the more people that are participating in the care of patients that suffer from substance abuse disorders, the more patients that are going to get treated because in the United States, only 10% of patients that suffer from severe substance abuse disorders get treated in a specialty clinic. So that means that 90% are being are either not being treated or are having very little treatment, if any. So again, the more awareness that physicians have and other clinicians, the more patients will get identified and you have to do what you can to help the patient. And even if it's a referral to a mutual group such as AANA, CA, uh, these 12 step programs, these mutual support groups are have the best outcomes to begin with. So, but they're not going to get referred if the patient isn't being identified by the primary care doctor because the primary care doctor has a big influence in the patient. Um, and that still holds true to this day that 
patients will listen to their doctors. And But if the doctor isn't giving them that message, then they're not going to follow it because uh, the, the, the doctors are unaware. So again, that's why we need to bring light to the subject because the more people that are involved in it, the better off we, we are all going to be. That's going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode of 2020 Psych. I hope you guys enjoyed and liked what you heard. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at 2020 Psych Podcast for more updates on when we post. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great week wherever you are. Mm-hmm.